But let me pray and then we'll, um, we'll sort of dive in. Uh, Father, thank you for your word to us this morning. Uh, thank you, your word, living and active, sharper than a double-edged sword, inspired by you to speak into our lives, to touch our lives, to change us, to encourage us. Lord, may our hearts be open to you. May our minds be attentive to your word this morning. Uh, for Jesus' sake, amen. So, 1 Samuel chapter 9, we first um, come across Saul. Now, Saul is the first king of Israel. Israel was never meant to have kings. It's, it's, it's supposed to be a theocracy. It's the, the only king is God. And as we've seen a little bit in the last few weeks, God uses, calls particular people, he calls the judges uh, for a season to rule over Israel. But the Israelites look at the nations around them and they see that the nations around them have kings. And they begin to think, well, we'd like to be like them. Uh, we, you know, we're, we're a bit odd. We don't have a king. We're, you know, we have these sort of funny judges who come and go and prophets. And we want to be like everybody else. We want to have a king. And uh, eventually God um, uh, allows them to have a king. And Saul is the first king chosen by God to be the king of Israel. And he starts well. He starts well. 1 Samuel chapter 9 uh, there was a Benjamite, a man of standing, uh, whose name was Kish, son of Abiel, the son of Zeror, the son of Becherath, the son of Aphia of Benjamin. He had a son named Saul, an impressive young man without equal among the Israelites, a head taller than any of the others. You can begin to see why um, uh, I started thinking about Joel uh, as I was reading this. An impressive young man, without equal, among, a head taller than any of the others. Well, a head taller than his sister, uh, one of them, anyway. So, um, so he's, you know, he's a strapping young, you know, he's a strapping young man. He looks, you know, he kind of looks the part, uh, you know, without equal. Uh, uh, verse 15, uh, Samuel, who is the prophet in these days, uh, the day before... Uh, Saul came, the Lord revealed this to Samuel. About this time tomorrow, I will send you a man from the land of Benjamin. Anoint him leader over my people Israel. He will deliver my people from the hand of the Philistines. I've looked upon my people for their cry has reached me. When Samuel caught sight of Saul, the Lord said to him, this is the man I spoke to you about. He will govern my people. So Saul is... Um, you know, he's, he's a strapping young man, he's impressive, without equal. But the key thing is, he's chosen by God. He's chosen by God to be king. He doesn't put himself in that position. He's chosen by God. And Samuel the prophet is sent to tell Saul that he is the one who has been chosen. And he is the one who will govern his people. And what's Saul's reaction? Verse 21, Saul said... Am I not a Benjamite from the smallest tribe of Israel? And is not my clan the least of all the clans of the tribe of Benjamin? Why do you say such a thing to me? In other words, as so often, when God calls someone to leadership in the Bible, their first response is, you've got the wrong person. I can't do this. 
Uh, you know, think of Moses. Moses, when God is, uh, calls him to lead the people of Israel out of slavery in Egypt to freedom in the promised land, comes up with excuse after excuse after excuse to say to God, you've, you've, you've got the wrong person. Uh, I can't even speak properly. That's why uh, Moses ends up working with his brother Aaron, because God gets so frustrated. He says, OK, we can't speak. Aaron will be your mouthpiece. Uh, look at Gideon, when Gideon is called to lead the Israelites, the angel comes to Gideon and says, stand up, mighty man of God. And Gideon's hiding in a wine press because he's so scared. He's like, no, you've got the wrong person. You think of the Apostle Peter when he was first called in uh, Luke chapter 5. And he falls on his knees before Jesus and says, go away from me. I'm a sinful man. You've picked the wrong person. The Apostle Paul, when he writes to the church in Corinth and reminds them of what he was like when he first went to them, he says, when I first came to you, I didn't come with, you know, with great eloquence and great words. So often that's the res- And it's a great response. It's a great response when God calls us to have that humility and to say, you've got the wrong person. I can't do what you've called me to do. And that's how Saul starts. He says, he says no, no, I'm, you know, my tribe is the smallest tribe. My clan is the weakest of all the clans. You've got the wrong person. But, chapter 10, Samuel took a flask of oil and poured it on Saul's head and kissed him, saying, Has not the Lord anointed you leader over his inheritance? In other words, this is not about you. This is about God. You're being caught up in the things that God is wanting to do. As disciples of Jesus Christ, that's our privilege. We're caught up in the things that God is wanting to do. And he will call us and use us as he wills if we're willing to follow and if we're willing to be obedient. Uh, Saul is um, called by God. He is anointed And then his change, chapter 10, verse 6, Samuel says, The Spirit of the Lord will come upon you in power, and you will prophesy, and you will be changed into a different person. You will be changed into a different person. If God calls us to do something, he doesn't just push us out and says, go and get on with it. He equips us, he fills us with his Holy Spirit, he changes us. I was reminded of Paul writing to uh, the Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. And Paul reminds them of what happens, what happened to them when they accepted Jesus Christ. He says this, if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. The old has gone, the new has come. When we accept Jesus, we receive the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit changes us and we see glimpses of that in the old testament when the holy spirit comes on particular people at particular times so that they can fill the calling that god has placed on them so saul is called he's anointed he's changed the spirit of god will come on you you'll be changed into a different person I remember many years ago when I um, uh, uh, left school and went to work in a student's hostel in London, sharing a room with uh, a guy who became one of my best friends, um, Jason. And at the time, although we were both on a Christian community, uh, he would have have described himself as someone who didn't really know the Lord. Uh, He went to church. His mum and his parents had brought him up going to church. 
And uh, when he joined this Christian community, he didn't really have a relationship with the Lord Jesus. And I remember going to a meeting with him. Uh, it was when John Wimber, if that name uh, means anything to you, John Wimber first came over to England in 1984 and held meetings at Westminster Central Hall. And we went to one of these meetings and um, my friend Jace went forward for prayer at the end of that meeting and was profoundly changed by God. He had an encounter with the Holy Spirit that radically changed his life and overnight his life was he became a different person uh, his you know his personality was still the same he was um, still as you know as as daft as he ever had been he still kind of had the same he was still jace but he was a different person because suddenly he had this love for the lord that he hadn't had before he was um he couldn't you know he was reading his bible in a way that he hadn't uh, you know hadn't read before he was in prayer in a way that he hadn't been before he was a different person because the holy spirit had changed him and this is what happens uh, to Saul and then there comes an instruction verse 8 Samuel says I will surely come down go ahead of me down to Gilgal I will surely come down to you to sacrifice burnt offerings and fellowship offerings but you must wait seven days until I come to you and tell you what you are to do this is this is really critical as we will see He says, you must wait until I come to you and I tell you what you are to do. So Saul is called, he's anointed, he's changed, but he still has free will. He still has to choose which way he will go. He still has to choose daily to surrender himself to God and to be obedient to God. And for us, as we are called by God, as we're anointed, as we're changed by the Holy Spirit, we have to make that decision. Will we be obedient? Will we listen? Will we listen to God? And will we be obedient to what we hear? That's the key thing. Just one more verse in this as we think about Saul's good beginning, because so far things are you know, things are going, uh, you know, are going well. He's doing the right thing. He's responding in the right way. So far, his calling has, it's kind of been a private calling. Uh, Samuel has come to him and given him this message from the Lord and, and spoken to him privately. The anointing has gone on privately. But now it needs to become public. Everybody else needs to know now what God has decided to do with Saul. And so there's, there's a sort of public anointing of the king of Israel where the nations are called together verse 20 Samuel brought all the tribes of Israel near the tribe of Benjamin was chosen then he brought forward the tribe of Benjamin clan by clan and Matri's clan was chosen finally Saul son of Kish was chosen but when they looked for him he was not to be found so they inquired further of the Lord has the man come here yet and the Lord said yes He's hidden himself among the baggage. <laughs> it's, it's brilliant. <laughs> Just, I, I love that. You know, he's, he's been called, he's been anointed, and he has had all this affirmation. And suddenly, what we're going to read into this, suddenly it's becoming public. He's, he's sensed this private calling and this anointing, and he's been changed. And it's all been very wonderful because it's kind of all been very private. But now it's kind of reached this point where, wow, 
Now I've actually got to do this. Now I've actually got to do this. I'm going to be declared. And I think Saul has this moment of panic and thinks, I just can't do this. And so he hides himself amongst the baggage. And um, uh, I was thinking, you know, just uh, I know um, Joel is very excited about this calling on his life and excited about what's to come. But there's an apprehension. There's an apprehension about a new beginning, about a new start, about moving to a new place, about moving to, um, uh, you, know, uh, you know, to be with a new church and with new people. And there's so much uncertainty. And um, if I could just, you know, there's, there's you know, a sense for Joel at the moment about, well, it'd be quite nice to hide, among, hide in the baggage. <laughs> because now it's, you know, there's been all these months of prayer and preparation and sense of calling but now there's the reality. And when sometimes we're in those moments where, you know, you know, we're sitting on our own and we're praying and we have a sense of God calling us to do something. Maybe it's even just to have a conversation with a friend. We sense a prompting from the Lord to, you know, to share our faith or to offer to pray with somebody. And then we are with them and, the Lord get, and we hide amongst the baggage. Because it's the reality of making that actual, that step of faith, putting it into, into practice. And so often we, we do that, we hide in the baggage. And Saul has this moment of doubt right, um, right here. But God has called him, chosen him, anointed him, changed him, given him an instruction. Go and wait seven days until I tell you what you are to do. And it all has gone really, really well up to this point. But now things start to go wrong. So having thought about Saul's good beginning, his humility, his, you know, his, his anointing, his calling, now we need to learn some lessons. We need, to, we need to be aware of things that can go wrong as we step out into the thing that God has called us to do. Uh, if we move on to chapter 13... Of 1 Samuel chapter 13, we read, uh, Saul was 30 years old when he became king. Uh, he reigned over Israel for, for 40, 42 years. He has a long reign. He has a long reign. Now, remember what Samuel has said to Saul. He said, uh, you must wait seven days until I come to, tell, come to you and tell you what you are to do. So Saul is supposed to be waiting. And he doesn't wait. He doesn't wait. So often, um, God is wanting to speak to us. He's wanting to direct us, to guide us. And we just go off and do our own thing. And Saul is impatient and he doesn't wait. What does he do? He chooses 3,000 men from Israel and they go off to fight the Philistines. So he hasn't waited for instructions. He's just thought, well, if I'm the king... One of the things that the king needs to do is fight our enemies, our biggest enemy right on the border, living on the, the, on the coast of Israel, are the Philistines, will go and attack them. Uh, so Israel heard the news, verse 4 of chapter 13. Saul has attacked the Philistine outpost, and now Israel has become an offence to the Philistines. So Saul leads them into battle, and the Philistines fight back, and the Philistines are rather bigger than the Israelites are. So the Israelites have got 3,000 3, troops 
And the Philistines come back at them with 3,000 chariots, 6,000 charioteers, and soldiers as numerous as the sand on the seashore. So immediately the Israelites are facing overwhelming odds. Verse 6, when the men of Israel saw that their situation was critical and that their army was hard-pressed, basically they ran away. They hid in caves and thickets among the rocks and in pits and cisterns. Some Hebrews even crossed the Jordan to the land of Gad and Gilead. Saul remained at Gilgal and all the troops were quaking with fear. So Saul hasn't waited, he hasn't listened. He's gone off to fight a battle that God didn't ask him to fight on this occasion. And suddenly panic stations. The Israelites see the enemy coming towards them. They run away. They hide in caves and thickets. They cross the border. They are quaking with fear. What is Saul going to do? Well, he waits. He holds out for the seven days, for the time set by Samuel. But Samuel doesn't turn up when he expects him to. So what does he do? Well, yet again, he takes matters into his own hands and he does something that he's not entitled to do. Um, He said, verse 9, Bring me the burnt offering and the fellowship offerings. And Saul offered up the burnt offering. Saul isn't meant to do this. The priests are supposed to offer sacrifices. It's the Levites who are supposed to offer sacrifices. Uh, uh, Saul is doing something that God has not equipped him to do. Suddenly Saul starts to make a mess of things because he hasn't waited, because he hasn't listened, because he's taken matters into his own hands. And then Samuel arrives. What have you done? Saul replies, when I saw the men scattering and that you didn't come at the set time, that the Philistines were ascending at Mishmash, he thought, Philistines will come down against me at Gilgal and I've not sought the Lord's favour. So I felt compelled to offer the burnt offering. Samuel says, you acted foolishly. You've not obeyed the command of the Lord your God. All Saul was asked to do was to wait. Wait seven days and then I'll come and tell you what to do. And he doesn't wait. He goes and fights a battle that he wasn't um, asked to do. It all goes horribly wrong. He panics. uh, He takes on the role of a priest, which wasn't his. And suddenly things start to go wrong. Samuel says, you've not kept the command of the Lord your God. If you had, he would have established your kingdom. But now your kingdom will not endure. How easy it is to begin well... But then to take matters into our own hands, to not listen to what the Lord is asking us to do. Uh, just uh, as you start, Joel, just a, a word of, uh, just a word of advice from Saul to wait and to listen and to hear his voice and to do the things that he calls you to do. One of the things that we will uh, will will sort of come. Uh, come to in a, in, a, in a few moments is from the word goes Saul feels the pressure of what other people want him to do and it's always a great danger in leadership that we feel pressured into doing the things that we think people want us to do rather than listening to the voice of the Lord so Saul and things start to go wrong uh, we won't go through chapter 14 but in chapter 14 again we begin to see A lack of wisdom in the way that Saul leads. Again, he leads into 
uh, into battle. He wins a great victory. But even in the midst of great victory, he nearly ends up having to kill his son Jonathan uh, because he, without God's instruction, he makes his army swear, uh, you know, make a promise. And when that's not fulfilled, he nearly ends up having to kill his son Jonathan. And the army have to come to Jonathan's rescue and say, you can't kill your, you know, but it's, he begins to lead unwisely. Chapter 15, uh, which if you're in your Bible, it will have, may have the, the, the heading, the Lord rejects Saul as king. He's only been king about a week and he's about to lose his anointing because of his, his disobedience. And Samuel says to Saul, I am the one the Lord sent to anoint you king over his people Israel. Now, so now listen to the message from the Lord. This is what the Lord Almighty says. I will punish the Amalekites for what they did to Israel when they waylaid them as they came up from Egypt. So just wind the clock back. When uh, the people of Israel are being led from slavery in Egypt to freedom in the promised land, as they're travelling through the desert, they come across this tribe of Amalekites. And the Amalekites don't let them pass through peacefully. The Amalekites attack God's people as they're on their way to freedom in the promised land. And the Lord says to Moses in Exodus chapter 17 verse 14, Write this on a scroll as something to be remembered and make sure that Joshua hears it. Because I will completely blot out the memory of Amalek from under heaven. Because the Amalekites wouldn't let God's people pass through peacefully on their way to the promised land, God says, a day will come when I will completely blot out the memory of Amalek from under heaven. That day has now come, or is supposed to have now come, under Saul's leadership. Saul is told, I'll punish the Amalekites for what they did. Now go and attack the Amalekites and totally destroy Everything that belongs to them. Do not spare them. Put to death men and women, children and infants, cattle and sheep, camels and donkeys. Now to our 21st century um, way of understanding, this seems very harsh. It seems very barbaric. Uh, It doesn't sit well with us. The idea that a whole tribe of people are, are to be annihilated. But we need to understand kind of the context of the time in which this was happening. The Hebrew word that is translated, totally destroy everything that belongs to them. The sense of it is that everything is handed over irrevocably to God. Everything is put into God's hands. What God then does is down to him. So even though we read this and it sits uncomfortably with us... Remember the character of God revealed in the Old Testament as a God of love and a God of compassion and a God of justice. And even though some of this stuff doesn't sit well with us, it makes us feel uncomfortable. As we've remembered this morning, God is utterly sovereign. He is utterly loving and he is utterly just. And so even though this huge destruction that takes place... God is a God of justice and we have to entrust him with that. The point for the purposes of Saul's life is that he's been given a specific instruction by God to do this. And the problem with Saul is that he doesn't follow through. He does the classic thing of 
God has spoken to him and he thinks he can do it better. And it's a classic um, uh, pitfall for those of us who follow the Lord Jesus. That God tells us to do something and then we come up with a better idea. Let me tell you, you will never come up with more wisdom than God. If God asks you to do something, as challenging as it may seem, go with it. Because God is wiser than you are. And he knows what he's doing. I know that hurts our pride. We like to think we have more wisdom than God. We don't. But Saul tragically thinks he does. So the the instruction is destroy everything. Chapter 15, uh, verse, uh, uh, verse 9. But Saul, so they go up to, they fight the battle. But Saul and the army spared Agag, the king of the Amalekites, and the best of the sheep and cattle, the fat calves and lambs, everything that was good. These they were unwilling to destroy completely. But everything that was despised and weak, they totally destroyed. So Saul, they kind of, they look at the, and they think, whoa, this is a terrible waste. You know, right, you know, kill, you know, kill all the sheep that, you know, a bit knackered. But, you know, why waste all these lovely sheep? Why, you know, we should keep all of these so he doesn't follow through. Verse 10, the word of the Lord came to Samuel. I'm grieved that I've made Saul king because he's turned away from me and has not carried out my instructions. So Samuel goes to meet um, Saul. It gets worse. Saul has taken matters into his own hands. He's decided that he has more wisdom than God. And now it starts to go really wrong because when Samuel goes to find Saul, he's told Saul has gone up to Carmel. There he has set up a monument in his own honour. He set up a monument in his own honour. So Saul has gone out to fight the battle. It's gone well, but he's not followed through on what God asked him to do. And having won the battle... He's like, wow, didn't I do a good job? Didn't I do well? So he goes to Carmel to set up a monument in his own honour. Things are really going badly now for Saul in terms of leadership. He should be building a monument to God to say, thank you, Lord, that we won this great victory. But he doesn't. He builds a monument in his own honour. These are the pitfalls of being called by God, the pitfalls of leadership, that things go well. And we begin to think, didn't I do well? Didn't that meeting go really well? Weren't people so blessed by what God did at that meeting? Aren't I good at what I'm doing? Aren't I a good leader? He begins to look for um, his own exaltation. When Samuel reached him, um, Saul says... The Lord bless you. I have carried out the Lord's instructions. I've done what I was asked to do. And I love, I don't know when the original, whether, I don't don't know whether the the Israelites did sarcasm. But Samuel just comes back with this, you know, fantastically sarcastic response. Because Saul said, I did what I was asked to do. And Samuel says, why then can I hear sheep bleating and cows mooing? Because the instruction was to, you know, destroy everything. What then is this bleating of sheep in my ears? What is this lowing of cattle? And Saul, he then tries, it's just so tragic because you see someone who's started so well now beginning to, to crumble 
And he starts to try and justify what he's done. The soldiers brought them for the Amalekites. They spared the best of the sheep and the cattle. But we did it for a good reason. To sacrifice to the Lord your God. But we destroyed the rest. So yeah, we may not have been completely obedient. But we did it for a good reason. We kept them so we could sacrifice them to you. you. Samuel says, stop. Stop. Let me tell you what the Lord said to me last night. Although you were once small in your own eyes, did not you become head of the tribes of Israel? The Lord anointed you king over Israel. Verse 20, Saul says, but I did obey the Lord. I went on the mission the Lord assigned me. I completely destroyed the Amalekites. Uh, The soldiers took sheep and cattle from the plunder. In order to sacrifice them to Lord your God. Saul's trying to, he's trying to justify what he's done. And then this devastating verse 22, chapter 15. Samuel replies, does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as in obeying the voice of the Lord? It's obedience that counts. Uh, in John's Gospel where Jesus is speaking to his disciples... He says to them, if you love me, you will obey what I command. If you love me, you will obey what I command. That's the most important thing. It reminds us that God calls us into a relationship of love. It's a relationship of love. A relationship where he speaks to us, where he leads us, where he instructs us. And the thing that is most precious to God's heart is not that we turn up and offer sacrifices. It's not that we turn up and say prayers and sing hymns and do all the other things that we do. It's that we come with hearts of obedience because we love him. And obedience is the sign of great love for the Lord. It uh, continues... To obey is better than sacrifice. To heed is better than the fat of rams. For rebellion is like the sin of divination and arrogance, like the evil of idolatry. Saul has become arrogant. And when we become arrogant, we put ourselves before the Lord. And that's never a good idea. And so the the rejection comes. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, because you weren't prepared to be obedient, he has rejected you as king. And now finally, and too late, Saul understands. Too late he understands. I have sinned. I have violated the Lord's command and your instructions. And here's the thing. I was afraid of the people. And so I gave in to them. I was afraid of the people, and so I gave in to them. It's, it's, just, it's a fatal flaw in Saul's character, but it's a fatal flaw in so many of us that actually the voices around us become more compelling than the voice of the Lord. Peer pressure forces us to do something that God has not asked us to do. And tragically, Saul ends up losing his anointing. He's uh, the king of Israel for 40 years. But he loses the anointing and the spirit departs from him barely a week after he's begun. There's a, a tragic sort of little coda to the whole episode in chapter 16. 
uh, chapter 16, Samuel now uh, anoints David to be king of Israel, the one through whom the Messiah will one day come. And we read this in verse 13. Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed David in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the spirit of the Lord came upon David in power. Samuel then went to Ramah. Now the spirit of the Lord had departed from Saul. And an evil spirit from the Lord tormented him. Saul starts so well. He's called by God. He's anointed by God. He's changed by the spirit of God. But then he's asked to be obedient. And that's where things start to go wrong. He doesn't wait. He's impatient. He takes matters into his own hand. He thinks he knows better. He thinks he's got a better plan than God has. And in the end, it ends so tragically that he loses his anointing. And he's not the king that he could have been. So I hope that I've... I, 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 was, I was thinking about this. My intention was that it should be um, a message of encouragement for Joel. And I hope it is a message of encouragement. I've not <laughs> kind of panicked you into thinking, oh, crumbs, well, I've started well, but it's all going to go terribly wrong. And in about a week's time, it's going to be a disaster. <laughs> but, you know, for all of us, you know, we're all called by the Lord Jesus. We're called to be his disciples. And we just need to be aware of the pitfalls. The most important thing is that we begin every day simply by coming before the Lord and saying, Lord, I love you. I love you. What do you want me to do? And then being obedient. As crazy as it may sometimes seem, that we trust him. We depend on him. And if we do, then he will use us. He will use us beyond anything we could ever imagine because he does fill us with his spirit. His anointing does remain on us. He does use us for, you know, for his purposes and for his glory. Let's start well and by his grace may we finish well. Amen. Amen. Amen.